Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Happy Father's Day again to all you dads out there. I know I can say with four of my own kids that being a dad is not easy, but it's awesome. Uh, And it's such a gift. And my kids uh, are such a gift and I love them so much. And so we're just praying for all of us as dads that we would lead in a way that God calls us to. Um, And thank you guys uh, that are leading your kids well and teaching them to love the Lord and walk with him and setting an example uh, for them to follow. It's so awesome. Well, my, my name is Colin. I'm the family pastor here at the Kirk. Uh, it's always an honor and a privilege to get to be up here and open God's word for you. Um, we're continuing on in our series, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And we have been in Romans for a while. We started off in this pattern of uh, Paul talking about, he really starts off talking about the problem of sin and that it's a, a problem for all of us, that we all fall short of what God wants for us. So then he goes into a section talking about the answer to that problem, that the answer, of course, is Jesus. And it, he goes into a lot of detail about what it means that Christ uh, died for us and that he hung on the cross and was raised again to fix the sin problem for us. And now we're in a section, and this series is much more about what does it look like for us as God's people, as followers of Jesus, to live out our faith in the context wherever God has placed us, the people he's placed us around, the cities that we're in. Uh, what does it look like to follow him? And the idea here is that the more faithful we are in trying to be like Christ in those contexts, then it's going to be a more beautiful day in the neighborhood. When we can do that, we're going to add to uh, positive things to the places that God's placed us in. And uh, if you got to just, if you're paying attention a minute ago, listening to the scripture that was just read, maybe you knew that it was coming, uh, you probably have felt like giddy, like a child on Christmas morning waiting to open gifts. You just couldn't wait to get to this message about submitting to government authority, right? You guys have been, just couldn't wait. But it's a good one. God has something to say to us, I believe, through this. Because here's the deal. Some of you, if I were to ask, um, especially if you are this way, you would raise your hand. But if I said, like, who are the rule followers in the room? You would probably raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. Uh, a lot of us, though, would probably say we have a tendency to want to buck authority to do maybe uh, when there's a line drawn. We just like to kind of stick our toe across there, see what's going to happen. Um, that has been me at times in my life. Um, And I think all of us would agree, if we have kids, if we're parents, or if you remember being a kid, that we get a good start on that when we're young, right? We test out everything. When parents draw a line, kids cross it. Uh, They're little rule breakers. That's what they are. And uh, so in honor of Father's Day, I just thought I'd start this morning by talking about three dad hacks that I came across to deal with little rule breakers in your home. So maybe you can just think back, maybe grandkids, if you know the time's coming, but for your own kids, 
Here we go. So first one is, if you ever told your kids, like, the crayons stay on the paper, and then you walk in and you find something like this. I mean, the kid's proud of himself, obviously. But dad hack number one is called, I'm going to call box them in. So dad just stuck them in a big box and he can color to his heart's content. That works. Problem number two is a kid who just won't stop eating the candy, especially when it's your candy. You got this secret stash of chocolate and you walk in the room and realize your kid's broken into the chocolate. And look at her. She's so innocent. Like, what? I didn't eat anything. And so dad hack number two is hide your chocolate. Um, This dad put it in a bag of edamame in the freezer. So what kid's going to look there to find the chocolate stash? And then three, we probably all recognize this one, the back seat, right? If you've got multiple kids or if you had siblings, you remember remember the back seat. You remember what it was like when the instruction came from the front. Stop touching each other. Stop messing with him. Do you guys see those little lines in the middle of the seats? That's the barrier. Do not cross that line. But as you know, that doesn't usually work. And so this dad, maybe because of the pandemic, he got this idea, but he came up with this last hack. (laughs) Just put up the barriers. I feel like, though, as those kids get older, they're going to figure out how to get around that somehow. I don't know. But the point is, we start young. We break rules. We don't always like being told what to do. In fact, uh, I went to, with the young adult group, to a uh, driller's baseball game the other night. And if you've been to a sporting event any time recently, you know that at some point during the game, you're going to hear this over the loudspeaker. Everybody clap your hands. And then everybody starts clapping, except for my friend Matthew, who's sitting next to me. He's like, don't tell me what to do. I'm not clapping. And it kind of went on the joke as the game went on and they told the crowd to do different things. But that's, that's the point, right? I told them I was going to call them out and I did. And so we're in this place where most of us would admit we have trouble, especially if we don't agree with authority, especially if they're telling us something maybe we don't like. Uh, we have a tendency to want to do the opposite. And so we get to this part. We've been in this, this great scripture the last couple of weeks telling us all these incredible things about how to live, how to let God's love shine through us, how to let it overflow in our life, how to treat people when they're treating us wrong. Um, And then all of a sudden, Paul decides to get like super, super practical on us here. And it seems like when you look at it as a whole, you're like, this section kind of fits, it seems like, but it seems kind of random. It's just right here in the middle of all this. But I think it's here for a reason. I think it's here because faith isn't just theoretical. It's not something we just talk about. This is what she would do. But we never get down to like when the rubber meets the road. What does that look like? How do we actually live it out? So if you can think back the last couple of weeks, you probably apply some of those things to what we're talking about today. Our faith is meant to be lived out in real life context. And part of that context is something, a context that we all share, believers in Jesus, no matter where we live in the world, it's that we all live under the authority of a government of some sort. Someone that creates laws, they make rules for us to follow. And we're going to see in a few minutes, it's actually a good thing. It's for our benefit that they do that. But we don't always agree with what they do. And so Paul writes this to the Romans who are in a situation of their own. They're hard. 
like ours, but there's probably lots of people in our world today that are in much harder situations than we are when it comes to relationship with the government, especially how that intersects with their faith. But there are two things in particular going on in the Roman context when, when Paul wrote this letter. One was that there was talk of a tax revolt going on, like this, this ta- certain kind of tax that they were being asked to pay. A lot of the culture were saying, we're not, we're, we think we may not do that anymore. We're going to stop stop paying taxes. And so that's like right in the context of Paul writing this. And so that conversation, I'm sure, was making its way into the church as well. There were also a growing number of zealots within the church even who didn't want anything to do with government. They wanted to revolt and fight against government and do their own thing. And so Paul knew that that was probably part of the conversation as well. And so he writes into that context talking about why government, the role of government, why it's important to submit. Uh, and we're going to talk about maybe sometimes when it's important not to. But we've got to look at the larger context of Scripture for that. But here's, as we begin, the four truths I'm really hoping that you'll get out of this today, the things I want to, want to cover, and I hope uh, that you will believe these with me. Number one is that God is sovereign. Paul's going to be really clear on that point. Number two, the government serves a purpose, and that purpose is to provide order for us. Number three, submitting to that order actually brings freedom. And number four, our attitude and actions in relation to the political world has an effect on our witness to the world. And so we're going to start with sovereignty, but let me just say a quick prayer before we get into God's word. God, as we open your word, I pray that you would speak through your Holy Spirit, um, that you would take my meager efforts to understand your word and you would speak through your Holy Spirit to help us change to be more like you, to help us interact with our world in a way that will bring you glory. Uh, may your will be done in this space. Pray in your name. Amen. So we start with the sovereignty of God. Chapter 13, verse 1 says this, let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which is established, which he has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. That seems pretty clear. But I want to read three other scriptures that tell the same story of God's sovereignty in relation to government and leaders. Isaiah 40 23 to 24 says this. He brings princes to naught and reduces rulers of the world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. In the book of Daniel, chapter 4, we get this story three times in a row, almost identical, where King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream And then he asked Daniel to interpret the dream. And then the dream plays out just as Daniel interpreted it. And part of that dream, part of what's happening to the king, is that he's gotten so full of himself and his power that he's forgotten who's really in control. And so here's, as as, uh, Daniel is interpreting his dream, here's what he says is going to happen. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. 
Seven times will pass you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. God wanted King Nebuchadnezzar to understand his place. And then in the book of John, the words coming out of the mouth of Jesus as he stands before Pilate, if you remember the scene, and Pilate says to him, why won't you speak to me? Do you not realize that I have the power to let you go free or to crucify you? And these are the words that Jesus said to him, you would have no power over me if it was not given to you from above. That's pretty bold. But it's the truth that God himself speaks, that he is sovereign, that he has power over all things, over all governments, over all leaders. And I think, I'll be honest with you, that's really hard for us to comprehend, especially in particular circumstances. When we see what leaders do, how they act, what they can do to their people, we, it's hard to comprehend. Okay, did God put them in power? Is he just allowing them? How is he using this? But we have to take scripture and God at his word when he says, I have authority over all. Scripture is consistent in proclaiming that God has the ultimate power and authority. So the question is, do we believe it? Do we believe it? And I kind of wonder if it was harder for us or for the church in Rome to believe that. I almost think it might be harder for us for a couple of reasons. I mean, when you think about the church in Rome, uh, they really had no choice over who they were governed by. Actually, that was the story of God's people all along in their situations, right? Either God raised up a leader, a judge, or a king, or a religious leader uh, to put over them, and they just submitted and lived under the authority of whoever God put over them. And some of those people did a great job and were godly, and some of those people weren't, and yet we read the story of how God used all those things. And sometimes he even allowed his people to be taken over, to be conquered, to be taken into exile, and they had foreign leaders ruling over them. But in all of those contexts, you can see how God's people would find kind of a unity because they were all in it together, right? They didn't have any choice of what was happening to them. They were one. They're all dealing with the same thing. I feel like the struggle that we have it's kind of a two-edged sword in a sense. Like it's such a blessing that we have a say. We have a vote. We have a voice. We get to participate and be part of what happens in our context. The downside of that is that where we live, we're pretty much split 50-50. It creates a great division among us. Depending on who's in office, half the people love it and half the people hate it. Half the people think that person can do no wrong and half the people think they can do no right. It's hard on us as a people. And while we do legitimately have some say and we do get a little bit of power in that with our vote, I think it can make us feel like we have more power than we probably do and also like make us feel we have more responsibility than we do. When we start to understand that God is still in control, that God is still over it all, I think it helps take a little bit of pressure off. And I don't want you to think I'm saying, like, step back, don't be involved. I think as God's people, we need to be fighting for what's right. We need to be pushing for what his word says. Uh, we need to be involved in the process. We need to be informed. We need to participate, all of those things. But I think we need to do it with the perspective 
that God is in control. And here's an important question, I think, as we think about that. And maybe most of us probably wouldn't say we agree with this, but sometimes we live as though we think that this might be true. The question is, does the success of God's plan in our world or our country and the legitimacy of his kingdom hang in balance on election day? If we choose the wrong person, does that mean we've thwarted God's will, that he's no longer in control, that he can no longer do what he wants to do? I hope the answer is no. I think sometimes we live as though the answer is yes, but the answer is no. God is sovereign overall. And sometimes someone gets put in office in our country or another that we don't agree with, that we have a hard time with, but he's still in control. And that's where all the yeah, but stuff comes up. That's where we start asking like all the qualifiers. Yes, okay, I agree. God is sovereign. I agree. God is control. But what about this? But what about that? But what about this leader or what they're saying? What happens when they make a law that is inconsistent with what God clearly says in his word? Because if we look at those first two verses on their own as standalone verses with no context around them, it seems as though Paul is saying in all situations, you need to submit to, to the government. No qualifiers there in all situations. But we know even from scripture, from the stories that we read in God's word and from his people, that's not always true. That's not what always happens. We get lots of examples of people who do not conform to the laws that they're given because they know that it's not right according to what God says. So the question is, are there exceptions to the rule? What if the law conflicts? What do we do? Let me just give you a quick list of some of those stories that you might remember. Exodus 1, the midwives are told to kill every baby boy that is born, and they don't do it. And God works through them not conforming. In Joshua 2, Rahab hides Israelite spies from her own people, and it leads to the destruction of her city, but she knew that that's what God was asking her to do, and she was faithful, and she's held up in Scripture as a hero of the faith for what she did. We see David fleeing from Saul, which fleeing is a form of nonconforming. We see Jonathan, Saul's own son, Saul the king, who is siding with David instead of his dad. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember? They're told to worship an idol. That's the law that was put into place, and they say, I'm not going to do it. That's not what God has told us to do. And they trust God to save them in the furnace. And not long after that, Daniel is told to stop praying to his God and to pray to King Darius only. And he says, not going to do it. I'll take my chances and trust God. Jesus encourages the disciples to flee persecution. And Jesus himself at times you see in the Gospels when it says they went to arrest him and he just slipped out and goes away because he knew his time had not yet come. And then we have this famous one in Acts 4, 18 to 20, Peter and John in front of the religious leaders, they're told, stop preaching the gospel. Stop talking about Jesus. But here's what they said. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we've heard and what we've seen. 
they push back. They know there's a difference in that moment of what they're being asked to do by the rulers around them and what they've been commanded to do by their God. And when that situation comes up, we need to know that God's law always trumps. That we should always do what God wants us to do. The key, the hard part sometimes, is trying to discern. When when are we applying this just to what we're really wanting to do, or is it really God that's saying, is it clear that this is what God's telling us to do? Is it clear that this is God's law in this moment? Submission comes with limits. I mean, we even see throughout history a whole list, books written about martyrs who have chosen to not submit and to give their lives to follow Jesus when they're told not to. But submission comes with limits. But here's also what I think Paul wants us to understand. Government is God's idea. It's not just something that happened. It wasn't, it wasn't our idea to have a governmental system. God put it into place. And I think he put it into place for a purpose. And that purpose was to bring order into our world. In fact, God created the world with order, right? He put some predictability in it that brings good things for us. It gives us a sense of safety, a sense of predictability. We know what's supposed to happen. We know how it's supposed to work. Here's what it says in verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do what's right, but for those who do what's wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. According to these verses, the government's role is to bring order by making laws, by giving rules, and then punishing those who break them. And there's a reward for those who don't because they get to live free within that context. And when providing this kind of order, government's carrying out God's will. It tells us they're God's servants. A lot of people that serve in the government in all kinds of contexts have no idea that they're serving God, which is kind of fun, the way that God works. He uses people even when they don't know it and even when they don't even want to be used. I mean, there are people who do not love God at all, and yet God's using them to carry out his will, to bring order into the world. And he knows that we thrive when we're in a context of order, right? Most of us would agree. We like, even though we push against them, we like having boundaries in our life. We like it when there's some rules. We like it when we can kind of know what's expected of us, what we're supposed to do. We don't like chaos. Even people who say that they like chaos only like chaos if they're in charge of the chaos. They only like it if they can kind of make the rules of what's happening, but that's not really chaos, Right? I think back to even, uh, like, you know, not long ago in Seattle with the autonomous zone, which is supposed to be like this free living, no rules, anything goes, we're all going to love each other utopia kind of thing. But it only lasted for so long until people's stuff started getting stolen and people started getting beat up and it doesn't work anymore. And then they have to start creating their own government and their own authority to make it work. And the problem is when we try for things like that is we misunderstand human nature. 
We think if we just let everybody do whatever they want, everyone's going to be kind and good and look out for others. But we know that's not the reality. Sinful nature tells us that. It's not going to turn out well. It didn't take me long in youth ministry to figure out that we need order. If you've ever led dodgeball with middle schoolers, you know that if you let the little guy in the black shirt or the little guy in the blue shirt, like if you stop enforcing the rules and that kid gets hit like 27 times and never goes out, it's going to be bad news. People are going to get angry and the game's not going to be played the way that it's meant to be played, right? If you want the game to work, you've got to make rules and you've got to stick to the rules and you've got to call people out when they're supposed to be out. That's kind of, in a way, what God has set government to do. Make the rules and enforce them so that it works. So that we can live together in harmony within a context of a community with one another. Submitting to the law means also that we get to be free from worrying about punishment, right? He keeps telling us in here, if you obey, you've got nothing to worry about. That should be the way it is. This is also kind of a... It's almost like a little job description if those in government were reading it, like, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to fairly punish those who break the law, and we're supposed to give freedom to those who don't and commend those who live the right way. It doesn't always happen that way, which is why there's so much frustration in our culture right now because sometimes we feel like, wait, the opposite's happening. Like, those breaking the law are being rewarded. Those abiding by the law aren't. It's really frustrating when that seems to be happening. But yet, we continue to trust The Lord is in control. And it's not just freedom from punishment that we're seeking. There's a freedom that he talks about that happens on the inside of us. Verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. There's a special freedom that comes with doing what's right. There's a weight that's lifted off. You know it if you ever do what's wrong, that you walk around carrying this thing in you. Not just a fear that I'm going to get in trouble, I'm going to get caught, but just that we're meant to do the right thing. And so when we don't do the right thing, it doesn't feel good. We don't feel like we're supposed to feel. And so even when it's hard, even when we do the right thing and it doesn't work out the way we're supposed to, we're supposed to do it, and we're told that we find freedom in that. And I want to read a passage of Scripture to you out of the book of 1 Peter. And as I read it, I want you to look for a few things. You're going to see that when we follow what's said here, which is very similar. This is written years later. It's written to people in a totally different context. But you're going to hear a lot of the similar things. And here's what he tells us. When we live the right way, We're going to glorify God. We actually silence the foolish people and we find freedom. We're rewarded, especially when we suffer for doing the right thing, for doing what's good. And we end up living like Jesus. And so just listen to these words. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, which is what all of us are in our context as people of the kingdom, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors 
who are sent by him to punish those who are doing wrong and to commend those who are doing right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, now this is where it gets tricky because now he narrows it way down to a context that we would say, that's harsh. Like, I can't believe he's even telling them to do this. He's talking to slaves about their relationship with their masters. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Okay. So you ask yourself, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. Why would God be asking people to act the right way, to bear unjust treatment, to not fight back in some of these situations? And then we get to verse 21. Why would he ask him to do it? For this reason. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who justly judges. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We do what he's asking us to do so that we can be like Jesus. That's really what it comes down to. So that we can be like Jesus. Let's look at the last two verses. This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Let me stop there real quick. Governing is not easy. I don't know. There might be some people in the room that are involved in that. It's not easy. We disagree with a lot, but just put yourself in their place. It's kind of like, you know, if you ever thought someone might ask, like, would you ever want to be president? No way. Why would I put myself through that? It's like, you're just signing up for like 150 million people to hate your guts. It's not easy. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Dang it. Why did he have to add respect and honor in that? I mean, we're good with like paying taxes, I guess. We're not happy about it, but we'll do it. If we've got to give the revenue, give the revenue. But we also got to give respect and honor. He's starting to talk more about our attitude in the process than just about, just about following through and obeying. And granted, Sometimes we feel like someone doesn't deserve respect and honor. Sometimes we just do it because their position deserves it. But we're told 
to do it. And in this verse, you can hear Paul echoing Jesus. Remember when Jesus was questioned about paying taxes, they were kind of trying to trap him and ask him, like, should we pay taxes? What should we do? And Jesus holds up a coin, and he says, whose image is on this coin? Whose inscription is on it? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And so here's what I would ask you this morning. Whose image is on you? What inscription is written on your life? Here's what I believe. When God looks at you, if you belong to him, he doesn't see school colors. Some of us are really proud of our schools. That's good, but that's not what God sees. He doesn't see a company logo. He doesn't see a team emblem. He doesn't see an American flag. When we belong to God and he looks at us, he sees Jesus. Jesus' face is imprinted on our lives. And there's an inscription that says, Child of God. We belong to him. Our life and our heart and our devotion and our fighting energy and our deepest love, those things belong to Jesus above all else. Our citizenship in the kingdom of God and in his family trumps anything else a million times over. Those other things are important. And they're gifts to us from God. But our devotion belongs to him first and above all other things. And so if that's true, we need to live out of that identity above any other. That's the identity. Every day when we get out of bed, we need to say, how do I live as a child of God today? How do I live as someone who's marked by Jesus, who's got the Holy Spirit living in me? The way that we live matters. And there are no exceptions. As people of God, he promises us his Holy Spirit. And the work that he's trying to do, we see the list of the fruit of the Spirit up there. What he's trying to grow in us are these things. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But there are areas in our culture and in our lives where we feel like we can set all that aside and live differently. Like, we're going we're gonna to be about these things over here, but when we get in certain areas of our life, uh, we feel like it's okay. We're justified uh, because we're really angry or we're really upset about something or something's really important that we can act differently. But I don't think there's supposed to be exceptions to the rule of how God calls us to live. We want to fight for what's right. We want to work hard. We want to be involved, but we want to do it in a way that honors God. One of those places with what we're talking about today is the world of politics. And so I had to ask myself as I'm working on this, because I'm usually preaching to me more than I'm preaching to anybody else. Like when I think about the way I think and talk about politics and leaders and all that, would, would these words describe that in my life? 
Would someone look at me and say, man, Colin, when it comes to uh, how you feel and, and communicate about the political world and all the things that are going on, yes, you're frustrated. Yes, there might be stuff you don't agree with, but do I see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness? Are all those things playing out in your life? And I'd say probably most of the time, no. Probably not. That's one area, and we'll come back to that. Another one, which I think is actually related in a lot of ways to the world of sports. Some of you guys might might know this too. I got a picture here. Um, <laughs> what's the difference between those two pictures? Okay, so obviously one has one person in it, one has four. The girl on the left, like obviously, well, not obviously. My guess is this is her very first day being an official in soccer. I mean, one, she's smiling because it's a hard job. She's just like ready to go. She's got all the stuff ready to go. I'd say the main difference is, and this is kind of a joke, but she's not yet like the hardened criminal like that's out. She doesn't have enough experience as a referee to totally be about ruining her lives, right? We kind of think that's the referee's job, at least when we're in the context of a heated game. You guys realize we, I don't know if you realize like the way that we treat referees most of the time. Like we wouldn't do that to most people when they're in the midst of their jobs. I mean, some people do. We see it more and more. Like you're not going to yell at the checkout person at the store for like messing up your coupon or something. We're very gracious. When a referee gets it wrong, not so much. And I know from experience because I spent my fair share of time on the sidelines, especially lots of sporting events, but soccer games in particular. And sometimes you feel like, man, that's not right. That's the wrong call. It's going to cost the game. Someone's going to get hurt. There's all these things you can say that justify me saying the thing that I want to say out loud in front of everybody to put, set that person straight, to make them know that I'm right about this thing. Um, and I got to a point one particular day, I was taking my son Titus to a soccer game and dropped him off where they're early as usual for warmups. And I'm just this particular park that you park up on this hill and the fields are all down below. And so I'm just standing kind of watching three or four different fields waiting for the game to start. And I started to notice something. I started hearing voices on the fields. I started hearing other dads and other moms yelling things at the referees. And as I had perspective and I stood back, I started thinking like, what is wrong with that guy? You know, like, dude, chill out. It's not that important. You're making yourself look like an idiot. You know, and I started judging all these people and I have like this Nathan and David moment where I'm standing on the hill and I hear God say to me, like, you are that guy. You know, somehow in the heat of the moment, when the sidelines right here, we feel justified. You take a step back and you get a little perspective and you watch other people. It's like, oh, yikes. And what I realized, actually, is that my desire to be right in a situation, I was actually trading in my witness. I was trading in my ability to be a light for the Lord so I could be right on a call at a soccer game. And I think we can do the same thing when it comes to politics. We've got some crazy years ahead of us, people. I mean, we just do. 
And there are going to be heated moments, and there's going to be things that we love, and there's going to be things that we hate, and it's hard. I'm not saying this because it's easy. It's hard. Because there are really important issues at stake. But can we go about the things that we're going to do? Can we go about having the conversations we're going to have in a way that the love of Jesus shines through? In a way that we would be embarrassed if any, we, we wouldn't be embarrassed if anyone in the room knew that we were a Christian. We'd feel okay talking about Christ right after having this conversation we had about politics. That's the goal for me. I mean, I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. And so I just put together a few action steps here. Can we live and pray like we believe that God's in control? Would we be willing, that leader that just drives us batty that we can't stand, would we be willing to commit to start praying for that person? There's a group of guys every time I walk in Panera, sometimes they're talking about other stuff, but a lot of times they're talking about politics. And I just wonder, like, if I was, you know, if I knew they were Christians, got a Bible on the table, and I wasn't, would it make a difference if I walk in every morning and I hear them bad-mouthing politicians as opposed to if I walk in every morning and hear them praying for politicians? I feel like that would make a big difference to the witness that they would have. And I want the way that I act. I'm hoping the way that we as a church act and speak and engage in the process to be a way that gives us a witness that these people are different. They care. They're involved. But they have a different priority system than the rest of the world does. Let's give to the government what belongs to the government. Let's pay our taxes. Let's obey the law. Let's help provide a context of order for people to thrive in. But let's give to God what belongs to God, which pretty much is everything else. (laughs) He wants all of us. He wants our hearts. He wants our devotion. He wants us to trust him more than we trust anybody or anything else on this planet. And let's just ask God, how can we let our lives tell a story that leads to you, that brings him glory, that shines a light on who he is, and do that with no exceptions in every area of our life. That's going to be really hard to do, but I think if we're willing to talk to each other about it, to encourage one another, to hold each other accountable, and to ask for God's help, because I know we can't do it on our own, that he'll help us do that. So it's not about it being easy. I think probably about 100% of the time if we try to do this, it's going to be doing the right thing. It's going to be doing the hard thing, not the easy thing. But I believe he'll help us, and I believe it's worth it because I think it'll make a difference to the people around us, and it'll give us freedom inside as well. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Even though sometimes you're tackling stuff we don't want to talk about or that we struggle with. This is a big one, God, in our context that we're living. It's a heated issue. And it's easy for us to lose perspective, God. And we just pray that you would help us. You would draw us near to you. You would give us discernment and wisdom as your community as we talk about these things that uh, we would be committed to pray to seek your wisdom, to do 
the right thing, even if it's the hard thing? Would you help us to know when we shouldn't obey, when we're being asked to do something that is clearly or maybe not so clearly against your word? Help us to have good discernment, to make good choices about when not to comply. But most of the time, God, help our default to be to follow the laws that were given because you've set them in place and to trust you and to know in all things that you are in control. You're a good God. You love us. You want to change us to be more and more like you. And we pray that we would allow you to do that in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.